generation. We got dedication. We are parenting for liberation. It's a new generation. So this is Trina. I'm here with Dia Penning. We're actually together. First parenting for liberation recording in person at the Earthrise Retreat Center in Petaluma, California. Hi, Dia. How are you? I'm doing really well, Trina. Thank Th you. Thanks for agreeing to chat with me. Um, and we're here to talk about our mothering stories and the work that we do. So, Dia, can you tell me a little bit about yourself, your work, and your family? Yes. So, um, my name is Dia Joyce. I was named after my grandmother, um, who moved from the south to Chicago in the 40s. Um, I sort of sit at the intersection of multiple worlds. I'm an artist, I also am a yoga teacher, and I also work in racial justice. I have one son named Gus, and I live in a home with my wife, my son, and my mother. Nice. Yeah. So earlier today during this retreat, we were talking about like, what does liberation look like for us? and she described um, Gus's school as a site of liberation. And if you all have ever listened to this podcast with me, I have talked about how sometimes my son's public school is, a, is not a site of liberation. I have to fight really hard to make sure that he's treated with equity and respect and that he's valued. And so, Dee, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about um, Gus's school and how you came to decide on that school and how it's a site of liberation. Yeah. So... Some parents go through that thing where you're like, oh my God, where am I going to send my baby? Like he's been in preschool or Head Start and you feel like he's been protected and people are there and they have his back. And then you have to make a decision about where you're going to go for kindergarten. And so well, Oakland is a choice district. So mm -hmm. you get to rank your choices and then they send you, you know, sort of based on lottery, I think. Um, so we went to the our neighborhood school because I actually feel really strongly about neighborhood schools. We visited you know, a couple of the like top Oakland public schools. We um, went to a charter school that's really close to our house. And then we toured two private schools. And at the time we didn't necessarily have the funds to pay for private school, but we were like, we're gonna try this out. We're gonna see what we can do. So we just wanted to see all of the things that were available for us. And we went to all the different schools and we actually took Gus along with us to tour the schools so he got an opportunity to see what each of the schools was like and to ask whatever questions he had to the teacher and I know that that might seem odd right to take no, a five-year-old along I, I love it it's part of our family like ethics right like he is allowed to make decisions about his life that sounds so, like a liberated parenting strategy to me yeah yeah so we took him to the schools and you know, I mean, to be honest, there were several of the schools that I was totally fine with. Mm -hmm. You know, like our neighborhood school, although has challenges, I think that it's a place that he probably would have thrived. I think that for me, because we live in an area that is gentrifying really quickly, what's happening at the school is that the PTA is almost all white moms, and then there's like the rest of the school. So there's a lot of like, there's a lot of class and race conflict at the school. So I think that for me, it would have been an issue. I think for him, it would have been fine. Some of the other schools, he would have been the only black boy. 
And I also was not trying to deal with that. Mm. Um, and the school that he ended up really liking and that my wife and I were like, okay, this might work, is a place called Walden, which is in South Berkeley. And it has been there since 1956, and it was started by anarchists. And um, their whole philosophy was that if the teachers are liberated, the children will be liberated. So it's a teacher collective. There's no head of school. Everything is decided by consensus. So it's not majority. It's consensus. And it has created an environment where children are at, have as much agency as the adults at the school. They really are able to, to, to be a partner in their education. So in the spectrum of things, it's not the most diverse place that we could have sent him, but he is definitely not the only person of color. He's not the only kid of color. Half of the teaching staff are people of color. Um, of half of the, so the teaching staff is pretty small. It's 10 people. Five of them are people of color. Four of those, four of those people of color are, are black. And two of them are men, which is highly unusual for Very private schools. Unusual. Highly unusual for private schools. And their demographics are not great. It's 5% African American. Um, I think 10% Asian. And then everybody else is white. So it's not great. But he's not the only black kid, which yeah. was important to us. And he's not the only black kid in his class. Um, but what's in what was what's so interesting is that in the environment that he's in, is he he gets a choice. You know, he's in a space where if he has to use the bathroom, he gets to go to the bathroom. He doesn't have to ask anybody. He doesn't get the third degree if he's been gone for more than two minutes. Mm -hmm. You know, he gets to make a choice about whether or not he wants to play inside or outside, or what book he wants to read, or if he wants to make an art project that's not exactly like the art project that his art teacher has shown him. He's able to make up stories that come from his imagination. Mm. He's able to tell stories that come from his imagination. And instead of the teacher calling him out as telling stories, she asks me, so, you know, Gus was telling me X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, yeah, that's one of his made up stories. And she's like, he is so convincing. Like, I really believed that, that, that he could play 15 instruments. And so it's not, it's a place where kids are allowed to examine all the possibilities of what it could be for their life. And it's a place where they know him. So he's a big kindergartner. He's four foot three the last time we checked. Wow, that's um, He's really tall, uh, and but he's very, very sweet. Right, so he's a very big kid, but he's also a very sweet kid. When you look at him, you could easily mistake him for a third grader. Mm -hmm. But once you talk to him, you understand that he's a kindergartner, right? And he's in a space where people know him for who he is. And so there's never an expectation that he's going to act like a third grader. Right. He's not a third grader. he's not a third grader. Right. So they don't just go on what he looks like. They right. actually develop a relationship with him. And, you know, I think so... Unfortunately, so much of education also has to do with the person who is leading the classroom. Mm -hmm. And his kindergarten teacher is an African-American woman, has raised two children. She's been teaching for, you know, 45 years. And she loves her children, and she especially loves her black children. Mm -hmm. And so not only is it a space that liberates all of the children, but it's a place that holds 
in in my case black children right all children need to be liberated but in my case it's black children black children in a very particular way that allows them to flourish and see themselves yeah and it was not an it, that was not the opportunity that we were going to have at the public school um near our house or at the charter school that was around the corner it just wasn't and i mean and 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 i think you know i like i'm an educator and I've worked in elementary schools, and I've worked in high schools, and um, and I know that teachers work really hard, and I know that they're constantly combating their own their own unconscious bias. I know that they are committed to kids, but I think that there is something to be said for liberating the teachers to do the job of teaching, without having without making them responsible for test scores, without making them responsible for managing a classroom of thirty kids without making them responsible for things that take away from them doing their jobs as teachers. And so for our family, um, we we were blessed to be able to figure out how to put together the resources to send him to private school. Also, one of the things that I really want to put out there is, especially for parents in the Bay Area that think that they can't send their kids to private school and they want to, is that most private schools have resources for families and so if you find some place like Walden like you find a school that helps to liberate your child that you can negotiate with the administration in order to get your kid into that school like you don't have to you don't have to settle for something that's that's not working for you so for folks who are listening what are some ways that you can negotiate because I know that folks are really wanting their children like for example I really want my child to go to a school that that sounds like an amazing liberated space and I've talked on ends about some of the challenges with my son's public school um we live in Orange County um which is you know a suburb in Southern California that's known for its shows about the housewives of the OC and all of that um, and he's not the only, you know, African-American student in his school or in his class, but he's, you know, one of the few. I'm right. assuming, the, I'm imagining the percentages are about the same. Okay. But one thing that is different in public schools is that all of the teachers, predominantly all of the teachers in his school are white women. And I know there's like a new article that just came out recently about our white women who are teachers actually helping to fuel the um, the school-to-prison pipeline, Absolutely. right? And so I think there are, like, multiple things about your son's school um, that make it a liberated space, mm-hmm. including, like, being able to see himself reflected in his mm-hmm. teachers and Absolutely. his um, administrators. So I have two questions, I guess. Um, one is the, the piece around, like, being able to negotiate. Like, what does that look like? What are some kind of strategies for folks who do want to do the negotiation? Um, and I'll just start with that question, actually. Okay. So I think that one of the things that is really important to keep in mind is that you can't start the negotiation process unless your kid has actually gone into the school. So the first thing that you have to do is you have to identify the places that you would like your kid to go. And you have to go through the discomfort of putting yourself out there. So it's a lot, it, in many ways, it's much easier to send your kid to, to public school because it's there. You don't have to do any of the upfront work, right? So it's that going through the process of going into those spaces where you might be uncomfortable, you might feel like, oh, I don't really belong here, or, you know, somebody's going to ask me a whole bunch of crazy questions. Like, you have to put that on the back burner, right? You you have to figure out if it's a space that you want your kids to be in. So that's the first thing, is that you sort of look at what's available. And you talk to, you talk to other parents that have sent their, that have 
gone outside of what is traditional for their kids, whether it's a parent collective or it's a co-op or it's a like straight private school, you know, whatever, whatever's outside of, of the, the norm in air quotes. <laughs> Once you go through that process and you get to the school and you fill out the application, then there's the whole, there's the whole trajectory of having to be transparent about your finances, about um, being upfront about what you can afford and what you can't afford. And I think that for a lot of people, that's really scary. But nobody's really going to... The people that work at the school, they're they're just about education. They're not, like, making a, a hierarchy for you based on your income. There are parents that will do that, but the people at the school are not doing that, right? So there's a lot of things about your own individual hang-ups that you have to let go of. When you're navigating these spaces. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot to do with, like, internalized racial oppression, right? Like, it is. are we it's good enough? Am yep. I worthy? Am I worth enough? What do I have to offer? Of I don't belong in this space. This yep. isn't for us. And that's a lot of, like, lot. dealing with white supremacy, white dominant culture that it's, you know, it's beyond a hang-up. It's, it's a lot yeah, of work, no, right? right. <laughs> that parents yes. of color have to deal yeah. with. On behalf of our children, but also we have to do that work for ourselves. Ourselves. Yeah. Well, and this is, and so this is one of those things where it's like, you're doing, you're, you get to do the work for the support of your child, but you benefit from doing the work. And you're right. I should not have said hang up. Like you, you're right. It is, it is real, honest, like difficult stuff to have to embrace. Going through the process, if this is what you want, it is stuff that you will confront, and that's yeah. kind of what I'm just putting out there. Like you're, you're but it's definitely... good stuff to. Com- I mean, it's not unfortunately, it's not yeah. good stuff to confront. But I mean, what I've learned or my experience is like as as I'm parenting and raising a black child, that actually doing stuff on his behalf has helped me yes. heal from things that I would have just ignored yes. or not dealt with. Right? Because <laughs> yes. like I've survived. Yeah. I'm resilient. Yeah. But it's like, oh, I need to go show up to make sure that my son is treated yes. a certain kind of way. Yes. So then, like, I have to step into spaces and be like, oh, I'm owning this space. Yeah. Otherwise, I would have not right. owned, right? But because I'm doing it on behalf of my son, it actually heals me and helps me to do things on behalf of myself. Yeah. So it's actually pretty liberating as a parent as well yeah. to do the work on behalf of our kids. Yeah. So then once you go through this Once thing, you go through all that. Yeah. So then, they, so then they, they send you, you know, they send you the letter that tells you, oh, your kid got into the school and this is X amount of dollars that we're going to support you on. The thing that a lot of people don't understand is that there is a possibility to negotiate that. So nine times out of 10, most, most of us are going to get the most financial aid that we can. But sometimes if you sort of fall in that middle range, you're a middle-class family, Two, two parent income, you know, like that you might not get what you need in order to send your kid to school. And there's always, you can always have a conversation with them. Yeah. Always. And I think that that was the hardest thing for me to understand was that you can pick up the phone and call someone and say, look, I know that you think that I can afford this, but I'm actually supporting my mom too. I'm supporting my mom, my you know, my daughter actually has X, Y, and Z things that we need to take care of because she has this thing going on. Like, you can be honest with them about what's happening in your life. I have school loans. I have school loans that, you know, cost me $800 a month. You can actually tell them all of those things. And again, it's not one of the, it's not a situation where the administrators at the school are not judging you. 
that is not happening. And I know that that is a really hard, being honest about money is a tough thing for a lot of people, right? Mm-hmm. But that's part of, that's part of liberation too, is recognizing that we all have different resources that we bring to the table. And that if we're able to be transparent about those, that we actually will get what we need. Yeah. Liberate some of those resources that yes. are available. <laughs> Yes. Because because we all aren't on the same playing field. We're not on the same page. And so then you're able to negotiate with them. They might not be able to give you all of it, but they can give you half of it. And then you sort of, you know, you make decisions about what you can do. But I think that the thing that I want to really just sort of hit home is that I have talked to so many people that do not even consider the possibility of private school for their kids or a co-op situation and I want people to understand that it is a legitimate option yeah it is a legitimate option and then you know and then if you decide to do like a parent co-op that's a whole other situation where you have access to um to online lesson plans and there's the ability for parents to pull resources in order to hire someone to manage the education of their kids. Like if that, so that's a whole other podcast in and of itself. Like what, <laughs> what it would look like to do like a parent collective. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I just, I really want people to understand that it is a legitimate possibility. It is not something that's just for rich people or white people. Like it is a legitimate possibility. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to consider it. Yeah. I have considered it, but I never have gone past looking at the tuition amount and going, yes. uh, <laughs> yeah. that is not going to yeah. work. Yeah. And then yeah. also. When it's half your income and you're like, Yeah. I'm like, I'm like looking at the amount. Like, I'm like, is that the yearly payment or the monthly payment? Oh, monthly. Okay. That on top of like, like feeling like I, you know, the amount of the, of the amount for tuition is just astronomical and then also the guilt of being like but there should be nothing that you wouldn't pay for for your child Mm -hmm. right so there's that guilt that I'm wrestling with and then also like the um like the the shame around like actually having resources right so like yeah I am not low income anymore right right? was raised low income and have you know evolved I think I'm middle class who knows nowadays what middle class really is (coughs) working class I don't know but um just like the shame of actually having resources to actually have these conversations because it feels so privileged, right? Yes. And as a black person, like, yes. wow, I actually have the privilege to consider this. Yes. Um, yeah. The shame of actually having the privilege. Yes. Which is kind of ironic. Like, why are you ashamed? Why am I ashamed that I might actually be able to well, pull this off, right? Yeah. Um, then there's also, so and this is one of the things that I had to think really deeply about. So there is there is that component where you start to think about the possibility of private school and then you're like I'm reinforcing my supremacy right right because you there's there's the part of me that's like okay I am taking my kid out of a space in our neighborhood in our black neighborhood right that is a place where he can be with his his neighborhood peers and he can be um, in relationship to black culture and all of the things that I want for him and I, like, I, I had many, many, many sleepless nights mm-hmm. on making these decisions. And for me, it came down to recognizing that I was putting him in a situation where the teachers that he was interacting with were a better reflection of him. And so, so that's the other point at which I had to deal with my own internalized stuff. Mm-hmm. And I had to have a serious conversation with myself about what I was thinking 
and, and you and I talked about this earlier, but what I was thinking about blackness and what it means to be black and whether or not I was robbing him of that by sending him into this other space or what I could do to support him in understanding himself and his heritage in a way that was different. I mean, there's, there's conversations like this between class and race and, um, privilege and, you know, it's, it's all of this, there are all of these onion layers that Mm -hmm. you're constantly peeling back. And I think that for me, I mean, I haven't, you know, I haven't done a, a, a perfect or even I would say an exemplary job of really understanding the intricacies of all of it but I at least am aware of it mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. I'm aware of it and I'm sort of as things are happening I'm asking myself questions and I'm asking him you know how he's feeling what feels good what doesn't feel good if things are happening and just trying to be aware those same choices right the very uncomfortable choices about you know what is the best that you can offer your child right right? like and you all we all want the best of our children and it's just it gets really tricky about how do we define what's the best and so I'm born and raised in South Central Watts California my mom is from Compton California like urban inner city and um when my son was raised we were living in born we were living in Inglewood we moved to South LA again where I was raised and I was really committed to like being in community with my people, right? And, like, I wanted to raise him. He went to his preschool, African-American, Latino, predominantly. There were no other. It was just black or brown folks. Right. The teachers, the the students. And then it was time for kindergarten. Right. And where we lived, I was like, oh, no. You can't go to these public schools. Because I was doing the work in the schools, right? right? right. Around yes. um, school-to-prison pipeline, school yeah. push-out, A through G requirements, like, I was in the community doing the work and the guilt of like saying I'm in this community doing this work to help these children and but I don't want to put my son in that right like the guilt of saying like do these kids deserve it and my son doesn't deserve it is he better than that and it was nothing about that it was just like I have the opportunity opportunity, to place him somewhere else and so and I I had the opportunity to place him somewhere else, but not because I was going to put him in private school because I couldn't afford it on a right. on a nonprofit income. Right. And so it was like actually what I had to do was like relocate to a community where I'm like these public schools are ranked higher. So right. that's how we ended up moving to like Orange County to the right. Burbs because it's like I can I can move and pay higher for my rent, right. but not as much as paying for private school. So moved out of the city and went to the Burbs and like started sending him to these sent him to like the public school. And it still isn't right. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, yeah. Yeah. All the teachers are white. Yep. And I have to volunteer so that they see me. Right? right? Like, oh, his mother's going to be here. Right. Oh, his mother's going to call. Right. His mother's going to email me every week. <laughs> She's going to show up. Right? Mm-hmm. And um, because of that, he does get, um, they know him. They know me. They. The principal says hi to him every morning when he gets dropped off. Like, you know, they're like there there is a level of knowing because there's like heightened awareness because of my advocacy. Right. So it's like I, I've questioned the choice. And now I'm like, you know, there's there's other options. So I really do appreciate like just hearing that private school is a possibility, but also it's a privilege and that my child is worthy of it. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Um, and all of the like. All of, all of the internalized yeah. doubt and shame and guilt. Yeah about like not being all the way down well you know it's so interesting that i 
because I also do work in the in the public schools in Oakland and um and one of the things that is so disheartening to me about public education is how segregated it is so just what you were saying is that what I was able to find in a private school environment is difficult to find in a public school environment so in a private school environment where we have the majority or equal amounts of teachers of color and white teachers and a mixture of, of, of students. There was not a public school that we looked at that that was the case. Mm-mm. You know, like for the, the vast majority of teachers in the public schools in Oakland are either, are white. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, in some of the schools you have Latino teachers, but I would say even in those schools, the vast majority of them are white. But what happens, at least in Oakland, is at some of these private schools, you get black men that are teachers at those schools because they have a level of agency that they don't have in public school, right? Mm -hmm. As teachers, they have a level of agency that they don't have. Um, And so you you get an environment that might be a little bit more conducive to what it is that you're talking about. You know, you have you have people that your kid can see themselves reflected in. Um, you have, it, it, at our school, you have a situation where from kindergarten, they're having complex conversations about race and identity, you know, as well as gender. You mm-hmm. know, like you're in a space where if people say things that are sideways, it's real quick. Like there's no, like the teachers don't let things slide. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, let's, you know, come we're going to have a conversation about that. Right. Um, and I think, you know, Walden is a unique situation because it is a teacher collective. It is unique, but I don't think that it is singularly unique. I do think that there are other environments that are like that. And I, I feel like what has happened with our public schools is that there are, because they're so based on test scores and because test scores are so based on on acculturation you have schools that have good test scores that are predominantly white and you have schools that have bad test scores quote again air quotes right bad test scores that are not white and you make a decision about where to send your kid based on test scores and the test scores mean nothing except for the fact that they're white or not white so I, I think about in Oakland we have some schools that are predominantly African-American or predominantly Latino that have good test scores that, you know, rank on like in the seven or eight or, you know, and they are schools that spend an incredible amount of time teaching through the test. That is sort of the full focus. And so this is another point of my privilege speaking, right? Like I don't fucking want my kids spending all of his time thinking about taking a test. Right. Like that's just not in, in my family. That is not a priority. And that's not liberation. And that is not liberation. (laughs) Not at all. Right. (laughs) That's not liberation at all. Yeah. And that's not teaching for liberation either. No. Like, the teachers aren't liberated, right? They're not. If you have your own, like, ideas about it. You know, the article that I'm referencing, I'll have to put the link in the, in the the on the blog, basically says that most of those teachers are white women. Mm-hmm. And the question on the article was, like, are white women fueling the school-to-prison pipeline? And if so, why? Right? And I know there's, like, all this historical stuff mm-hmm. about, like, white women's safety, white women's fear yeah. of black 
bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, and what is that relationship? But, yeah, I mean, I I 100% agree with that. With like what you the, the analysis of what you just said, absolutely. I think that it is. Hap- I think that that is happening. I think that there are probably white women teachers that are totally fueling that based on their own fear, and their own misunderstanding of of black boys in particular, mm-hmm. but black girls as well. Yeah. Their misunderstanding of how we um, express intimacy, how we express anger, what trust looks like for us. I think that there is a complete disconnect. Yeah. And and I think that they believe that they are doing the best that they can. And that's the part that gets me all of the time. What, what gets you about it? I, I like honestly believe believe it. So like I have friends that are teachers, you know, white or white presenting, right? That are teachers in in public schools that believe that they are 100% down for their kids. And I volunteer in their classrooms and I see things happening and I call it out and they're like, that's not happening. And I'm like, girl, we have been friends for 20 years. I am not going to tell you something that I don't see. And they're like, no, you're bringing your own experience. I'm like, yes, I'm bringing my own experience because those girls are me and I am those girls. And I'm telling you what I see. And white supremacy is so deeply encoded in our DNA Mm. that even people that believe that they're woke still perpetrate harm. Right. And I don't, you know, like, I don't know. Like, I have to believe that, that there is a different world for us, but I have these moments where I'm like, how are we going to get there? You know, and not to like, <laughs> no, I, <laughs> like, mean, I don't want to take, take the conversation, but no, it's the truth. How yeah. are you th- I mean, I think there's something about intent versus impact. Yeah. I think we can believe and trust that woke, progressive, <laughs> all this in quotes, like woke, progressive, liberal white folks, yeah. right. Who are down. Yeah. <laughs> have the best intention. Yeah. I think they really do. And. It's so ingrained that some things become invisible to even yes. yourself, right? Yes. Like, yeah. and in wokeness, I think it requires a level of accountability, regardless of if you can see it or not. Right. That it's not about trusting that I can trust that you have the best intentions, right. and the impact of your best intentions is right. this increased rate of young black children going to from kindergarten to prison pipeline right that like that it's you know so i think like how can folks continually to interrogate themselves um and continue to grow and be accountable to the harm even if the harm wasn't intended well and that comes back to you know we're here at earthrise earthrise retreat center retreat center (laughs) at the network weaver learning lab and I mean, it comes back to the, sort of one of the key things that we're talking about is this work being faith-based work, Yeah. right? It's that we have to believe, and this is what I was saying just a, you know, just a minute ago, is like, I have to believe that it can be different. But I don't think that just me believing, like I, I for me and doing racial justice work and, you know, and spiritual work and like all of the different intersecting things that I do, I believe that we all have, we all have a part in this liberation mm-hmm. and I can believe it and I can work towards it and I can beg and plead. But honestly, those teachers also have to believe 
And, and in addition to interrogating themselves, they have to believe that they can do it differently. And they have to believe in, they have to believe in the experience of people that are not them, right? They have to be able to believe that someone else knows their experience better than they do. And so that, that's, Hallelujah. <laughs> I right? mean, but that's mind blowing for people to be able to take a step back and be like, actually, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to go with you on this. I'm going to, I'm going to let you be the driver. That's what liberation looks like. <laughs> to let people be the drivers of their own lives. Their own lives. Whether yeah. they're like a toddler. Yes. <laughs> an adult, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Well, and so like taking it back to the, the kid stuff the other day, I don't remember. Oh, my son and I were at like this, like she, she plant store in Temescal. We were getting like a mother's day gift for my mom. And they have all of these potted, you know, all of these, like, you know, fancy, like, thrown pots, like, against the wall and, like, these elaborate orchids and all of these things. And um, and my son was doing something, you know, something that six-year-olds do. He was probably, like, dropping his, like, Beyblade into one of the pots and seeing if it would, like, spin out or something like that. And instead of being like, oh, no, like, what are you doing? I looked at him and I was like, I need you to understand that if you break that stuff, I'm going to have to pay for it. And that means that you are going to have double chores until you're 40. And so, you know, we had this exchange and, um, and the woman who was behind the counter was sort of watching us have, have this exchange. And I thought I was being kind of tongue, tongue in cheek, right? I was just like doing my thing. And this woman looked at me and, and she was like, she's like, you know, I, um, I'm actually in school for child psychology and I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. You know, I was just like, whatever, like, don't talk to me. I'm shopping. <laughs> I'm like, we're just, <laughs> we're shopping. And she was like, she's like one of the, the cornerstones of, um, of like child liberation is giving them agency. And she's like, what, what you did just, what you just did right there was you gave him the choice. You gave him consequences, but you, you weren't like snatching him and being like, no, you can't do that. You were telling him what would happen if he did yeah and and I think that you know that's kind of that's been my mantra for parenting is that like you don't have to do what I want you to do but I need you to understand that like what I'm asking you to do is for a certain reason right and if you choose not to do it this is going to be the consequence yeah right and I think that like for me that is that's liberation is just yeah. knowing that you have the ability to make your own decision and then you sit with the consequence of it. Yeah. I think that's really important because the other way of parenting, right? Like if you would have said, Oh, let me snatch you up and bring you over here. Cause if you break it, blah, blah. Right. Yeah. If you actually make the choice for him, yeah. right. To remove him, then he doesn't get the lesson of the consequences. Right. And then later down the line, he's going to be a teenager, and you're not going to be there to give him the, like, here are the consequences. Yeah. You're not going to be there yeah. to always rescue him. So it's like it gives them agency and, like, self-discipline yeah. and self-control. Um, well, it doesn't give it to them, but it kind of um, it develops it. It it's cultivates it, right? Yeah. And so, yeah. like, that's so important because, you know, one thing that I hear as a black parent of a black boy <laughs> that I struggle with all the time is trying to find the balance is, you need to discipline him before law enforcement hmm. discipline him. Or you need to get him in check before the police get him in check, right? Like, that yeah. we have to yeah. 
control them before they get locked up or incarcerated or gangs or violence, right? Mm -hmm. And that those systems aren't going to be gentle. They're not. Um, They're not. And, you know, the wrestle of that, right? Like, yeah, I I don't want him to have to end up being involved Mm -hmm. with law enforcement. And at the same time, I don't want to be the law. (laughs) I don't want to be the police at home either. So there's a balance. But giving your kid agency and teaching them how to make decisions doesn't mean that you're being gentle with them. Right, like if you are at least this is my opinion, and I and I'm and I know people I know people disagree with me, but in the way that I think about it, and this is totally the way that I was raised too, is that you learn how to make decisions because you understand what the consequences are, and so I don't have to I don't have to spank my kid. Like I I don't need to spank him because he understands that what the consequences are for doing the things that he does. And it's, I mean, okay, he's six, so the appropriate consequences that I'm giving him at six are going to be different than the appropriate consequences that I give him at 12. But I also have to believe that I can teach him how to think so that he knows you don't fucking run your mouth when a police officer pulls you over. You don't have the opportunity at that point. And this is this is not liberation, right? This is this is something totally different than liberation. But like you understand that this is not a point for you to be talking about fairness or unfairness. This is a point for you staying alive. Right, unfortunately. And the way that I think about it is that the reason that I want my child to be liberated in his mind is so that he knows what's safe and what's not safe. Hmm. Right? So that he can know in his heart and he can understand, he can read the situation so that he makes the decision that's going to work. And that, and I have to believe that. I have to believe that if I give him the support to be able to think critically, that he will be able to make those decisions when he's 16 to keep his fucking ass out of trouble. Right. Because I'm not going to, when he's 16, I'm not going to be there. I'm not going to follow him around. I'm going to let him be a normal kid. I'm going to let him go to parties with his friends, right? He is probably going to be at a party where the cops show up. Like that, that is probably going to happen. And as terrifying as it is for me, I also have to let him be himself. And so all I can do is teach him, but I'm not going to teach him through violence. Right. I'm going to teach him through being able to think through things critically and sort of carry through, okay, if I go this way, these are the possible scenarios of what's going to happen. If I go this way, these are the possible scenarios of what's going to happen. Maybe I just sit my fucking ass down (laughs) and don't move until it's all over. Right. You know? No, critical thinking is important, and I think our kids have to be hyper-vigilant, unfortunately. Yeah. Um... And that's how we do with the work that we're doing, right? Mm-hmm. I think you and me and all the other mamas and folks who are here with us, for example, at Earthrise, is that we're doing that work so that we can, like you said, we have, this is faith work. We have to have faith. <laughs> we have to have faith. That actually, we have to have faith. that the world won't yeah. be policing yeah. our kids and that our kids can engage with the police and it not be like a life or death situation. Right. Like, that is the world that I'm hoping to create. Me too. Together with yes, you and other folks, so it is faith work um, for the so that our children don't only have to be liberated in their minds, 
but like could literally could be liberated. liberated to like yes. just be yeah oh, that would be amazing that would be that is that is the goal that is like for me <laughs> right like parents are for liberation i say is like parenting right now for our children to be liberated in our homes yeah. in their lives but also like the for liberation is like that doing this work on behalf of our babies for the world to be liberated so that when our babies are liberated and they go out into the world that the world is not like oh strong powerful bright light black boy must control right my i want it to be like wow look at that glorious magnificent black brilliant light let's let it shine and so that's the world that we're fighting for and also we're we're like cultivating it in our homes for our babies to be that so but I just want to say thank you for staying up with me tonight and yes. chatting. Um, and where can folks find information about oh, incredible yeah. work you're doing? Yeah, so um, always and forever, you can visit me at theequitycollective.com. So it's a the equity, E-Q-U-I-T-Y, collective, C-O-L-L-E-C-T-I-V-E, dot com. And um, I also can be reached through World Trust. It's world-trust.org. Great. All right. Thank you for your time.